Hello, I'm Dr. Louise Newson. I'm a GP and menopause specialist, and I'm also the founder of the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Centre here in Stratford-upon-Avon. I'm also the founder of the Free Balance app. Each week on my podcast, join me and my special guests where we discuss all things perimenopause and menopause. We talk about the latest research, bust myths on menopause symptoms and treatments, and often share moving and always inspirational personal stories. This podcast is brought to you by the Newson Health Group, which has clinics across the UK dedicated to providing individualised perimenopause and menopause care for all women. Today, I'm very excited to talk to someone who I have met in real life and actually lives quite locally to me, which is quite unusual for podcast guests. But I've got Dr. Hussain with me, who is a RCGP, so Royal College of GPs, Lifestyle and Physical Activity Lead. He's also Swim England Medical Advisor. He's also a phenomenally fit person and is a triathlete. And he's a NHS GP. And he's actually a good friend and inspiration to get off the couch and do some activity. I'm not going to call it exercise, but just do some movement. So it's a new year, new you, new us. We're just wanting to talk openly, but I'm really keen also to introduce him to you and hear a bit about him and his story, because he's not always been as super fit as you will see if you follow him on Instagram. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks ever so much for coming and joining me. No, thank you, Louise, for inviting me. So I, we connected, I, I think I read something about you. I remember reaching out to you and talking to you about exercise and how important it is, but also how frustrated I am that so many women I speak to are really struggling with exercise and they're almost being forced into doing exercise because they know it's better, but they're finding it hard because their hormone levels are low and they're getting muscle and joint pains, they're getting fatigue, they've got low stamina. And it's great because... Like me, you're really holistic, looking at the whole body, but all the other interactions that go on. It's not just exercise and nothing else. And for my work, it's not just hormones and nothing else. And I know your lovely wife's a psychiatrist, and it's not just mental health and nothing else. All these things, and for me, the most important things are the three things I've just said. So hormones, exercise, mental health and if I'm allowed a fourth thing it would be nutrition as well and actually if we've got those four right we'll firstly reduce a lot of diseases we'll reduce a lot of suffering and this whole longevity that everyone's talking about our healthy living will really improve I I hope you agree with that 100% you know I think nowadays more and more people are caring about health span so the number of Mm. years they're around with a good quality of life then really kind of much else because it doesn't matter what age you get to from a life expectancy point of view if you can't look after yourself if you can't you know walk to the shops meet your friends dress yourselves things like this when you're in your later years then you know I don't think you're going to get the same enjoyment from life Mm. and in reality we can't wait for problems to arise before we start taking action because by that point it's too late and the amount that you can do reduces And I think, you know, you're looking after a group that needs this sort of extra support more than anyone. Because Mm. in reality, when when you go through the menopause and you have the change in your hormone levels, 
I often liken it when I speak to a number of my clients that I support with physical activity to the treadmill is already set at a speed. Mm. Mm. You know, before you even get on, you're going backwards mm. because that's just unfortunately the sort of the impact that, for example, a drop in oestrogen can have. And so I think we just have to be mindful of that. We have to be compassionate to ourselves and each other that things aren't going to be as easy as maybe you remembered. But the good news is that it's positive. You know, there are things we can do, positive mm. action-oriented tasks yeah. that can help to make things better. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's no diagnostic test for the perimenopause or menopause, as you know. We can't yeah. just simply do a blood test or whatever. So we rely on women, so for us as individuals, to try and work out if we've got any hormonal changes. And often in the perimenopause, our hormonal changes can vary between minutes, seconds sometimes, or days or months. And actually, one of the things that... A lot of women tell me, and I personally noticed, but hindsight's a great thing, was that my yoga practice was really, really different. I was becoming quite stiff and it didn't flow. And for any of you that do yoga, that whole sort of rhythmic flow, I do Ashtanga yoga, so every breath is a different movement and it's quite a powerful exercise. But I was like... (laughs) God, this is hard, really difficult. And I thought it was because I was just a bit tired or, you know, I exercise a lot better mid-morning. Like I've had my breakfast an hour after is the ideal time for me personally to exercise. It's not always good. I can't always do it because of work and everything else. So if I do it in the evening, it's just not as good. So I was thinking, well, maybe it's just because it's the evening. And then I'd try and get up earlier and do it, but then I can't do it before I eat because it will trigger a migraine. So there's all sorts of things that I thought was my, but my migraines were worse. And so my joint pain, my joint stiffness, my motivation, my just everything had gone, but my migraines as well. Mm. And I was getting more sort of sugar cravings. But I just thought, oh, it's because I'm stressed. It's because I'm stressed. Because whenever you read, it's all about stress. But actually, once I had the right dose of hormones, including testosterone, it's so much better. Like everything just works better. And of course, don't get me wrong, I do have practices where it's not good, but that's not my hormones. That's just, (laughs) you know, our body changes. But if we're more aware of our bodies, we're more likely to pick up these things. And I think that's really important. And it's not just for hormonal changes, for other conditions as well. I think when we're using our bodies in different ways, we're more aware of any problems. You know, if I sat still all day, I wouldn't be aware if I had pain in my knees, for example, because I'm not using my knees. And like for even wear and tear arthritis, you want to pick it up early, anything in medicine you want to pick up early so sometimes the more we move it's just little warnings isn't it to our body yeah and I like how you mentioned sort of the connected to yourself because I think that's what I get the most from physical activity is that you really do feel connected with your own body whether it be Mm. swimming in open water or going for a walk with my wife or just spending some time outside dancing for example Mm. you know like that just gets you more connected Mm. with your surroundings with your body and you just find the movement joyful rather than a chore because for so many and in particular if you are struggling with symptoms and it is more tricky exercise as some people call it is a chore Mm. but as you rightly highlighted in your book that I read you know if we can change that perspective from a chore to a movement you enjoy suddenly you're not looking at the watch every minute to Mm -hmm. see if half an hour has gone by. Suddenly you're not counting every single calorie that you're potentially burning. Because when you use those metrics to guide it, 
it is so demoralizing. Like you mm. have to do so much exercise to burn anywhere near enough that you think mm. is going to be, you know, significant. But if instead you're going to a salsa class and you're meeting your friends and you're having fun, that hour's going to fly by. Mm. Trust me. And so that's a really important aspect. Before you even think about what am I going to do to get more active this year, think mm. about what do I actually enjoy that involves me moving. Yes. Yeah, really important. But it's very interesting because you came and spoke to some of our staff a while ago, which was amazing. And you were talking about a bit of your own story and you were actually saying, I hope you don't mind me saying this, you said to one of some of your partners at work a while ago now, I'm going to learn to run. And you told me that they all laughed at you. So you clearly didn't look like you do now and you clearly weren't as fit as you are now. So what's the story there? Yeah, so I think... It's something that I hope, you know, if I share, I suspect a lot of people will relate to Mm. in that, you know, as I went through university and through sort of early junior doctor years, I was very much being affected by what we call now the osteosarcopenic obesogenic environment. And the reason I'm putting all three in, because often you'll hear obesogenic environment. That's lots of words for people to understand. It is. And let me break that down. So that is a environment that promotes a reduced bone health, reduced muscular health in the sarcopenic element and increased weight. And what was happening, I was working, I was trying to do my best, you know, really just focusing on trying to improve my academic performance, my family, my background, that's all they cared about. You know, if I was playing football, I would be told off because I'm wasting time and I should be revising and I should be working and I should be striving, etc. And it came to a head when I had a blood test, which I can't even remember why it was. I know that they were checking my hep B status because as a doctor, you need to make sure that's mm. done. And they picked up that my liver function was off. And so they oh, sent right. me for an ultrasound scan. And the sonographer said, like, he'd rarely seen a liver that was fatter than mine. <gasps> and genuinely, I hadn't weighed myself for at least 10 years. Now I look back on it. I didn't look in the mirror. And I think I didn't purposefully not look in the mirror, but I think I obviously subconsciously didn't mm. want to look. Mm. And I even asked my wife, I was like, like, what's happened? Like, and she was like, I didn't want to tell you, but surely when you were buying more clothes because they weren't fisk anymore, mm. I thought that that was the message. And she was obviously just too kind to tell me, but I wish she maybe had earlier. And, you know, I was 94 kilos. 94? Yeah, 94 kilos. Bear in mind, I am 70 kilos now. So that's 24, you know, less. And, you know, I think the bit that scared me most was that I had now non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Mm. And my father is currently in liver failure and was at the time in liver failure due to the same condition. Right. And I just realised that, like, I am just sleepwalking into Mm. my dad's Mm. life and my uncle's life. And so many of my family are overweight and struggle with that and it was just that wake-up call that I had to do something and before then I hated exercise like with a passion so how old were you then I was 25 what are you when you're f1 I think 25 so I just come out of university about maybe a year Mm. that kind of thing and yeah no like it was just that wake-up call that I just had to do something about it and I just started with just doing fast walks like power walks with my wife Mm. she would just motivate me and just say look we just got to get outside let's try and just get you moving a bit and then from then you know I started to try running and it was really difficult it was a challenge I I still didn't enjoy it but 
I went to Park Run,、mm. which is a weekly five-kilometer free event. It's up and down the country. It's nine a.m. every Saturday, and like they were so supportive there, and it also made me realize because I was being overtaken by people with like a double pram, like they had two like. Large kids. They probably should have been walking, to be honest. But they were overtaking me because I was so unfit, and so that's when I went into that sort of meeting at stuff. Because I was like, you know, what? I want to get better. Just like、mm. in the same way that I focused on being, you know, as high achieving academically as possible,、mm. I wanted to apply myself at this. And yeah, everyone laughed because they just couldn't picture me being athletic or even anywhere near、mm. kind of high performance. And to be honest, I didn't really picture it myself, but I just wanted to get better, and I just kept working at it. And I focused on how can I make running more enjoyable. And for me, it was doing it with other people. It was、um, doing it with my wife in particular. And so slowly, I would just get a bit better, a bit stronger. And then, as soon as that started happening, and I noticed that I was getting fitter, I was just enjoying it so much more because、mm. I was just finding that my days—I wouldn't get to the end of, let's say, my GP day and feel. Absolutely shattered. I just feel slightly、mm. less shattered to start off with, and it just kept growing and growing、mm. and get to a point where I was just, you know, getting faster and faster. And then I was winning park run, and it was strange because, like, it was now a year or two after I started. Like, I crossed the line, and I'd look back, and there wouldn't be anyone there, and I was just like, oh, like that's strange. So therefore, I started doing regional races, etc. But to cut a long story short. You know, the pinch me moment was last year when I was on the start line of the World Championships for long distance triathlon, and I was thinking, "How the hell have you got here?" And I think it just shows、Amazing. that it doesn't matter kind、yeah. of where your starting point is, and it doesn't matter where you end. Like for sure,、no. people aren't going to end up in the World Championships. Not everyone. Some people just don't have time, etc. But Don't ever count yourself out because I used to think、yeah. that oh I just don't have good genes because literally no one in my family has literally a fiber of any athletic、yeah. ability. Just don't count yourself out and just focus on yourself because that's all I did. Like the rest was just a surprise. I just focused on okay next month how can I do a bit better? And by better it doesn't mean getting faster. Like most of the time it's just how do I get more fun from it? What excites me? Just focus on that. It's so kind of you to share that story, and it's so inspirational. But it gives people so much hope because it's so easy, and we all do it, especially on Instagram. You look, oh gosh, they've got this perfect life, perfect body, and you think if someone's always been like that, it's so much easier to keep in good habits. Like if you've never ate a McDonald's, you're never going to start when you're in your twenties, or it's unlikely.、Yeah. But if you've been brought up with certain and and everything that you were describing about the bone loss, the muscle loss, the non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. It's all inflammatory conditions, and this inflammation I've spoken about many times on the podcast. It accelerates aging, and as we were talking earlier about this healthy living, it's really when I think about population health, which I do a lot, and you look about areas of deprivation in England, the average age of a woman to keep being healthy when she's living is fifty-two. If you look in areas of affluence, so in better socio-economic classes, it's seventy-one. So there's twenty-year difference in healthy living. And if you look, the government talks about these six main conditions, and they are inflammatory conditions: a、so、cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, clinical depression is still an inflammatory yeah, disease, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alzheimer's. And there's a lot, obviously, where we're talking about nutrition 
And it is difficult to eat well. It's very easy to eat badly and it's often cheaper to eat badly. So that's a massive conversation in itself. But actually movement is really good. And there's what's really upsets me sometimes is there's a quite a big debate about whether exercising you lose weight or not. Mm. And I find that really difficult for two reasons. Firstly, it's not about losing weight. It's about being healthier. And I'm sure you agree with that. And secondly, how the hell do you know? Because you can't do a randomized control study on yourself unless you have identical twins. But then we also know self-reporting is a real problem when you look at any of these studies. We all, well, we all, maybe I don't because I hate lying, but um, people do say, oh, yes, I did 40 minutes exercise when they probably did 30. And then it's very hard on the studies. But actually... It's not about losing weight. And people often find their body shape does change. I'm sure you agree. There's no doubt about it when you exercise. But it's not just because of the pure exercise. It's probably because you're sleeping better and you might be eating better. And your metabolism will change on the type of exercise. But it doesn't really matter. And I don't feel that people should be listening to this thinking they've got to run to lose weight or they've got to do this exercise to lose weight. I feel very strongly that we should be thinking about investing in our future health and doing the right type of movement that is right for us. And so, you know, my, my mother always says, oh, I'm not an exercise freak. All these people that are exercise, I've never had it. But now she's got quite bad osteoarthritis and I see her struggling and I, I think, oh, I don't want to be like that. And in fact, she's very much more mobile than a lot of her friends, but of course she takes HRT and I'm sure that helps. And she is active though. She's not a sedentary person. You know, she's always up and about and moving and she's still working. So she's catching a train or she's, so she's, doesn't matter that she's not spent a lot of time exercising, but also for me, I'm really worried about core strength and pelvic floor and that side of things but also exercise improves our mental health yeah so you know it's looking at what you want out of exercise but often you don't know until you do it don't you agree precisely and i know that a lot of people in particular when the new year comes around like weight loss is the kind of primary objective and and Mm. if i think of the lifestyle clinic that i run and the nhs like uh, over three quarters that's their aim and when i lost the weight it wasn't just any form of physical activity it has to be multiple pillars Mm. the key element is that you find something to start off with because in reality to lose the weight look you need to be active you need to look to improve your diet to remove calorie dense foods improve nutrition you need to also ensure that your stress levels are better because we know Mm. that stress will guide Mm. you to make you know unhealthier choices and you also need to help construct some control over the environment because the hit out there is quite difficult you go to restaurants you go to supermarket you go to work like these things are kind of designed to um, Mm. unfortunately give you the wrong health inputs now what i would say is you start off with just one habit just one thing and for me that was taking up running okay that will not be the right thing for everyone i can Mm. tell you that now some people no matter how many times they'll try running they won't enjoy it and that's not they're not bad people They just need to find a different movement. But you take up that habit and you just focus on doing it as best you can. Move it up. Because then what happened was when I started running, I eventually psychologically became a runner. And then when I had that habit and what we call this a keystone habit, I started making other life choices based on that. 
because I wanted to improve my running. I thought, ooh, is that donut gonna help? Mm, okay, maybe not. You know, maybe I should have, let's, let's have some fruit. Let's have some nuts. Oh, and then it'll be like, you know, is going to this social activity the right thing? Or should I maybe, you know, have a walk in the park with my friends because I haven't done anything all weekend? You know, it just helps to influence mm. your decisions because the brain likes doing positive mm. actions rather than constantly saying, I can't eat this. I can't do that. I have to quit this because that's just so negative. And all you're going to be doing is craving that yeah, thing. In reality, you're doing because you're coping with the stress mm. and it's actually providing some benefit. Although, yes, smoking is going to be damaging your lungs. It does help stress relieve you and you're doing it for a reason. So it's about trying to you know, look at how you can fix the underlying causes and create that identity that you want. And in the clinic that I do, my group clinics, I try to encourage everyone to consider themselves as their own personal athlete, because the athlete is sort of the example of the most we call it selfish, but I think we should all start mm. being a little bit more selfish to mm. ourselves because then you start making decisions that looks after you. Yeah, I think you're absolutely, well, I know you're absolutely right. And I often say to people when they say, how do you do everything? Da, 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 da. I said, because actually I've become more selfish as I've become older. And um, actually it's on a Wednesday morning we're recording this and I have somebody, James Critchlow, who's a yoga instructor, comes over every Wednesday morning. I've known him for 15 years and it's my really selfish time. I have an hour and a half on a Wednesday where I do a primary series of Ashtanga with him. He comes over to our wellbeing centre. And it's a really important reset for me because it's very selfish time. I could fill my diary a thousand times over, but everyone knows they can't block it. And I do it with a really good friend. So it's a great time to see her as well. And James has the most calming voice. So even if I didn't do yoga, he just resets me mentally but actually, at the end of a practice, he always says, Louis, you're so different at the end. You know, you do your relaxation and meditation at the end. And it's just everything lifts and it's really powerful. And I also carve out time. I can't do lots of exercises. Like I've said before, I have breakfast, but I often do 15 or 20 minutes of yoga. That's enough. Otherwise, I will know I'll trigger a migraine um, in the morning. So I get up and do it before I have a shower. And I th always think, oh, no, 15 minutes isn't much. But if I do that three times a, a week, that's 45 minutes that I wouldn't do. So I don't snooze my alarm. I get up 15 minutes earlier. My husband gets annoyed because I disturb him when I get up, but <laughs> it's tough. But actually, that's really important to try and carve out that time. And then at the weekend, I'll do a longer practice. And sometimes it means that the washing isn't done on time or the dishwasher isn't emptied or my house isn't as tidy as it could be. But actually, I know I couldn't work this hard if I wasn't investing in, you know, my yoga practice. And I wish I could say I will take up running, but I'm just not a runner. I like cycling. But I think if you know what's right for you, then you're more likely to do it as well. But I also think if I said to myself, right, I'm going to do an hour's yoga every morning, I would set myself up to fail. And after a week, I would be torturing myself because I hadn't done it. So you almost want to have smaller goals do you agree that you can maybe excel and, and, and change your goals? So if you find that 10 minutes walk, you're doing very easily, maybe you could do 20, but not say I'm going to do an hour or two hours walk. Because I think that's what it is, the psychology as well, isn't it? That's yeah. so important. The boom bust approach is something that so many people do. And mm. up until that point where I really started to make changes, that's what I was doing. Because don't get me mm. wrong, I didn't just... 
you know, sleepwalk it completely. I didn't make attempts to lose weight mm. in sort of different ways. I did make attempts to try and get active, but I always wanted to do something big. You know, yes. we want to be ambitious. We want to yes. be able to tell our friends and say that, you know, I want to do something good. It's only when I read a book by, you know, Rangan Chatterjee, which I'm sure many mm, people yeah, will know, that I realized that, look, okay, let me try a different approach mm. because this has not worked many times. And when I did that first sort of run, it wasn't a run. It was just a walk. Because in reality, I hadn't even walked for like more than four minutes or however long it took me to go from my car to work. And so how can I expect myself to run for half an hour? Mm. You know, and it was just crazy that I even thought that that was a possibility before. But I just started with walks and then I'd extend the walks. Then I'd make the walks a bit faster. Then I'd make the walks hillier. And then I'd start to add a few chunks of runs in there. And that's the key. Like you have to avoid... You know, you have to curb your enthusiasm early on because we always have loads when we're sort of writing this down and coming up with our resolutions. And let's say you have that goal. What I tend to do with patients, I say, okay, that's brilliant. But I want you to tell me 10 steps to get to that goal because they want to do it in one. But I go, Mm. no, break it down into 10 and force yourself to do it for 10. And then each step, make it time bound. Say that, okay, so I want by three weeks time to be able to do X and then just keep adding those steps. Cause mm. if you have those little steps, you will feel good when you achieve it mm. and when you maintain it. And then you'll feel even better when you have multiple steps that you're getting to that staircase of eventually mm. achieving the goal that you want to do. And, you know, you mentioned 15 minutes there. That's plenty of time. Like we know that not just from, a sense of trying to make people maintain it. We know that from sport physiology, like Mm. 15 minutes, you can do a hell of a lot. Five minutes, Mm. you can do loads. And I will do five minutes sometimes Mm. because I just know that there will be benefit, whether it be doing plyometrics for five minutes, whether it is just going outside in the morning and just walking around my garden for five minutes, you know, even if I'm not covering much distance, just that will help to just Mm. lower blood pressure, to lower anxiety levels. And when the choice is zero minutes or any minutes, I'm telling mm. you now, take the any minutes that mm. you can do. Don't be upset that maybe life's become busy and you can't do the half an hour workout you planned. Adapt it, change it. And the last thing that I want to say is if you're struggling to find any time and you feel that time is a big barrier, because in a lot of surveys, that's normally in the top three of things that people stay as a barrier then what you mentioned there of getting up that little bit earlier is so powerful because if you leave it to the end of the day, things will just get in the way, you know, like what's that messages, you know, your kids, you know, things that will just, will get in the way. But in those first 15 minutes, first half an hour of the day, normally, you know, things are quieter. You can mm. just control that half yes. an hour far better than you can if you planned it in seven in the evening. Eight. Mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's taken me many years to realise that as well. And I think, well, you, you you hit so many things, which is so important. And I talk a lot about migraines because they do control my sort of routine and my life. But I feel quite lucky. <laughs> this sounds a bit weird. Because I know that if I ate that donut you're talking about, I'd get a migraine later. I know that if I didn't bring my own lunch in and went and got a meal deal, I would get a migraine later. So I have to be really organised and I have to cook my own food and think ahead and always have nuts. Because if I have a snack and it's a bar of chocolate, I'll trigger a migraine. 
But a lot of people don't have that. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, it's like your just early feel, warning system. Yeah, like but, but also what they will do is just feel a failure because they've had a snack or they've done something. Or they think, oh, no, well, that's it then. I'm, there's no point in me exercising because I feel like this. And I don't really know how to get out of that because I am... I am quite strong-willed, but we all go through stressful times and we all think that food is going to give us joy and comfort. I don't drink any alcohol either because of my migraines. I don't eat chocolate because of my migraines. People go, oh my goodness, what are your pleasures? My pleasures, actually, one of it is obviously my work, but my family and actually just having me time. But I've adapted and that's taken me 20 years or so to have this. But it's almost like we all need a bit of a migraine to sort of think... Like, why am I getting this bar of chocolate? Why am I going to do this? And it's often not because you want that really, really bar of chocolate. Because obviously, when you do eat it, you feel great for 30 seconds, don't you? And then it's gone. So it's like, how can we detract ourselves by thinking, actually, no, I'm going to walk right rather than left. So I'm going to go right into the park rather than left into the shops. Because then I'm not distracted by, oh, look at that, there's chocolates when I go and buy the newspaper. I'm looking at the trees and the flowers and everything else. But it's how we do that. And I'm sure a lot in your lifestyle clinics and the talks and the presentations you give, it's, it, this is a really important part of mindset, isn't it? Because that's suddenly, but it's taken, it all sounds very obvious when I talk about it, but it's taken me years to realise that. Because otherwise you play mind games and you're like, oh, I've done really well because I haven't a chocolate today, so maybe I now need a treat tomorrow. And, oh, my goodness, but I now I'm a failure because I had, you know, I thought about it. And it's like, what are we doing to ourselves? And I think it's harder than it was when I was growing up in the 70s because you didn't have all these foods. You didn't have takeaways. You couldn't, whenever you bought petrol, you didn't have all these, you know, crisps, like, which the size of your head to say, yeah. eat me, eat me. It's so easy. Yeah. But it's like, how do we do this internal psychology to just say, it's okay, you don't have to buy into all this, you know. It is hard, though. It's really hard. Exceptionally hard, because there are really intelligent people working to make it harder. Mm. Because, mm. you know, let's think about food. They are designed, okay, designed to be weapons, mm. because they know exactly how our brain works. They know that we are still these primitive animals that are based on survival, okay? Mm. And if you have the choice of lettuce or a calorie-dense, high-fat, high-sugar food, then it wants that because that is going to survive, okay? That's what's going to mean that you survive. And it's the same with movement. A lot of people think that back in the day, like we were moving loads and that we, we loved it. But in reality, if you, for example, look at the tribes, that are living a hunter-gathering lifestyle still. So that's like the Hadza in Tanzania or Ramamuri in Mexico. These guys are spending as much time still as possible. They will go on ridiculous runs when they have to, okay, mm -hmm. because they need food or they need water. They will not do it just for jokes. You know, that's not what they're doing it for. And so that's how our brain is wired. Our brain is wired to be as efficient as possible. It's wired to want as calorie-dense foods as possible. And we're now having to work to fight against that. And mm. I have complete sympathy for anyone that is not able to fight those urges because that's how you're wired. Now, I think what's really important for people moving forward and setting the goals into this year is that they look to harness the focus on just one thing 
okay? Just focus on one thing to start off with, okay? Because if you try to combat all these issues, you're going to struggle on all ends. If you're saying no to chocolate, if you're saying no to this, and if that one thing is anything, my view is look at stress, look at your life. And now a lot of people think that stress is something that's automatic, they can't change. But in reality, there are some hard decisions that you can take that means that your stress levels are going to reduce, mm. whether it's around relationships that aren't serving you, whether it's around work that, look, maybe there's a reality that you need to either change the kind of work you're doing to something you enjoy more or the hours or the location. Because for me, that was something that I changed and it had a transformative effect for how I could therefore eat I could move mm. because I was so burnt out and stressed doing something mm. that I I didn't feel like I was making the difference I wanted to. And I suddenly just, once the stress levels dropped, I was just able to make better decisions. Mm. I wasn't coming home and just clicking just eat and ordering in terrible food. I wasn't coming home and thinking, oh, God, I can't be bothered to do any walking or running or something like that. And so until I just reduced the stress, which often I always talk about that treadmill. You know, I talked about before how like the menopause can increase the speed. Mm. Well, stress and all those things, that increases it even further. Of course. So it's all about how do you slow down that treadmill, whether it's reducing stress, whether it's treating your menopausal symptoms, whether it's looking at underlying issues and, and tough decisions. Just slow down the treadmill as much as possible. So at least the baseline, you're not having to walk too fast because mm. then you have the energy to go, OK, I'm now going to push myself in other areas of ways that stress is beneficial because that's the key. You know, stress is yeah. always negative. Absolutely. Yeah. Really great. Great way to end as well thinking about everything every aspect of our life is so important and i'm very grateful for your time before we end though there's always three take-home tips and i do think that i'm going to ask you to come back more because there's so much more we need to talk about mm -hmm. and there are going to be some events that you're going to do here in stratford-pronaven at wellbeing center as well so i'm looking forward to how we can work more collaboratively so before we end three tips so like we said new year new beginning new resolutions but what three things do you think that are not overwhelming, that yep. are easy hacks? Because I think life, we've got to make hacks to improve our, our quality of life and our longevity and healthy living. So three things that you think would make a difference, not just to the person listening, but people around them that they're who they're listening as well. So everybody that we're in contact with, three things that we could all do to share with others. Brilliant. Okay, so the first one I'm going to try and say quickly, just because I always start getting tearful when I say this one. But um, that is get a partner in crime because without my wife i wouldn't have made these changes okay so tip two is it's about trying to control the cues in your life so we will all have cues which trigger us to do behaviors which we're not happy with mm. I'll give one really quick example. A patient of mine used to tell me that every time in the evening he'd sit down to switch on and watch Netflix, the urge to have something sugary was just ridiculously strong. And he would just go to the kitchen. He'd try to have something small. He'd get like a donut, cut it in half. But then by the time he got back to the living room to enjoy it, he'd already eaten it. Like he'd literally just inhaled it and he didn't even enjoy it. So he'd have to go back to the kitchen, get more. And by the end of the evening, he's had way too many. So, it's about how do you adapt that? So for him, we decided to change his evening routine. We said, look, let's not watch Netflix in the evening. 
What can you do instead that you enjoy? And he said, oh, I love reading. You know, I used to read loads and I love these kind of topics. And I said, OK, you know, let's give that a go. You know, how about you read and to make it even more exciting to read, join a book club. So therefore you kind of have that kind of, you know, force you to read because you don't want to attend and not know what you're talking about. And that works really well for him. You know, mm. it changed the cues. So think about those cues. So that's the second tip. And then the third tip is self-belief. Okay. Now, this really matters. Mm. There's a story that I tell people just to illustrate just how powerful self-belief is. In the Tour de France in the 80s, doping was widespread. And a French cyclist called uh, Richard Veresque was competing and he was tipped to do pretty well, but he was struggling. He was struggling to keep up with the group. And he asked his team, you know, like, what's going on? And he heard from the other riders in the peloton because they always chat and talk during mm. these events. And they were trying, there was a new type of doping medication that they were using and he wasn't using it. So he went to his team and he said, look, I need to be using this. That's why I'm underperforming. That's why I'm not doing well enough. And his team, they, look, they didn't mind doping. Everyone was doing it, but they didn't want to start something new in the middle of competition. You just don't know how you're going to react. And mm. although he wasn't doing great, he wasn't doing terribly. He was sort of in around 10th position. And so what the physio did was, I'm just going to inject him with placebo and just tell him that this is the doping drug. They did that. The next day was a time trial and he outperformed anything he'd ever done before. He smashed it and he was just unbelievable. Because God, this doping medication is incredible. And in reality, he all he had was belief. Yes, at the time, not self-belief, mm. but in reality, if he just believed in himself, he would have made that. Really great tips. I really like that. So thank you ever so much. And thanks again for your time and all your work and energy as well. So thanks ever so much for today. No, thank you, Louise. You can find out more about Newson Health Group by visiting www.newsonhealth.co.uk and you can download the free Balance app on the App Store or Google Play.